Well, welcome to the Building Peace Initiative at youwantapieceofmeonline.com. This is John Van Bladel again with yet another podcast. Um, so during this podcast, we're going to take a look or continue to take a look at building a solid foundation for the discipline and practice of peace. Now, we need to be solid in this endeavor, and we'll talk about what that means. We'll also begin to look at some of the stumbling blocks to compassionate communication. We're going to endeavor to change the way we communicate uh, to foster connections between people as we work towards peace. So in regards to solid, one of my favorite ways to ground myself is a meditation by Thich Nhat Hanh. You may have heard of this one. Flower fresh, mountain solid, water reflecting, and space free. I'll post it on the website. It's from The Art of Mindful Living. Now... Flower Fresh can help us to stay motivated by remembering the importance of self-care. Mountain Solid helps us to remain solid so we're not taken away from ourselves and our purpose when we encounter strong emotions. Uh, Water Reflecting helps us to remain calm so we may see clearly what is going on inside ourselves and around us. And Space Free is to allow ourselves some time for ourselves and for some self-reflection. <clears throat> now, Thich Nhat Hanh trained people in engaged Buddhism, essentially trained them as social workers. So being as that's one of, actually that's what I did professionally for a good part of my life, um, it resonates with me. Now, you may have heard the statement, keep calm and carry on, but I really don't like that one. I have an alternative. Be alarmed and get actively involved. Um, it's okay to be upset, angry, or even experience despair at what's going on around you. Um, They're important emotions, and they can motivate us to action. We just don't want to get stuck in them. So listening with the express intent of understanding is central to what we are trying to do. Uh, It will help us to avoid being drawn into arguments that are turned into essentially jousting matches. Uh, We often do this habitually. It's what we've learned, and I spent a period of time in my life where Sometimes I engaged in these types of arguments, but they usually were circuitous and got me nowhere. Uh, We make the mistake, often, of assuming that others are coming from the same place that we are, um, that they want to resolve conflicts and live more peacefully. That may not be the case. Some of the people we come into contact with may have had the empathy and compassion deadened into them. Going back to flowers... The flowers of compassion have not been watered. Um, They may not be available at the moment to connect with in the way that we'd like to connect with them. They may be used to fighting. Um, And they may even seem to enjoy it. Uh, They may seek to provoke you by saying all sorts of things that get under your skin, and there are times it will work. And you may want to respond in kind. Uh, It is, again, a habitual way of connecting with people. On some level... um, fighting, deflecting, um, starting arguments is basically a way of avoiding coming into contact with some painful realities. Sometimes people want to appear strong. Uh, They may have been subjected to some of the misinformation or disinformation provided to them uh, by people around them or media sites. Uh, If people are in fight-flight, which a whole lot of people are, especially after two and a half years of COVID, they may have a lot of fear in them and it may be hard for them to settle down and listen. Nobody likes to feel vulnerable. 
Um, as we know, beliefs and ideology are very hard to change, and arguing only deepens people's resolve. They will double down rather than open up. So the key is not to engage in interminable arguments or discussions. We can change the situation by listening differently than we usually do. We don't have control over other people, but we do have control over ourselves, at least hopefully uh, for a good part of the time. And you know, we're going to have lots of opportunities to practice this, especially with the holidays coming up. What a nice opportunity to practice compassionate communication and nonviolent communication. Now, how's that for cognitive restructuring? <laughs> Turning a frown upside down, as you might say. Rather than aggravation, you have opportunity. Now, to further make my point, uh, many of us have sat quietly at dinner tables or when watching the news as we listen to all sorts of things um, that led us to become increasingly tense and irritated. Um, political topics in particular can be very difficult. Uh, they come up commonly and quite a bit, um, and many are not, or quite a bit in conversations, and many are not based in fact. Uh, fortunately, I'm not around many of these conversations. I've, over time, I've gotten removed myself from these types of things. But they can be really hard to be around, especially when you're just trying to get through whatever event you're involved in and someone turns to you and says, well, what do you think about this? All right, so I'm going to invite the bell a little and let us breathe. Three breaths. Now, I recently had a type of situation that could have caused some problems. I was in a car with someone uh, who used a derogatory term towards people from another country. Uh, the first racial slur I let go, but the second time I corrected the person by using the appropriate term. Um, again, it was not an optimal response, but at that point my options were limited uh, because I had become irritated and was closed off a bit. But my impulse was to stop the car and tell the passenger, get out. <laughs> now, I was in a power of position at that moment as I had the wheel, and I had that option. Um, again, power assertion, which is not going to be particularly helpful in that case. But what I'm trying to get across here is you two have options, depending on the situation. And as you learn, and as you practice, compassionate communication and nonviolent communication uh, will become more second nature to you. Um, you can also become further acquainted with the work of people like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and Gandhi, Thich Nhat Hanh, Dorothy Day, and see what they've accomplished through nonviolent approaches. And this will lead your options to increase. Now, when you're outnumbered at the kitchen table, one of the simple options is just to leave. You don't have to say a thing. Just vote with your feet. You don't have to leave the premises, but you can relocate to another area. And this may help at least suppress the conversation a bit. Uh, we can also choose to listen without judging, if it's not too difficult. What you will be hearing when people make derogatory comments towards others is the suffering within them. And they have yet to find a way to express themselves in a manner that helps them get their needs met. Now that's a perspective from Rosenberg and nonviolent communication. You can also say that you don't want to participate in the conversation at hand. It's your right. That's assertiveness. But 
you will talk about the beautiful day or the great dinner. Um, sometimes I'll change the topic. How about those Yankees? The baseball team, not a derogatory, derogatory term towards the Northerners. Uh, if it's Thanksgiving, there's always football to deflect to. And you don't have to change anyone or solve the world's problems all the time. You can take a break. So what I'm trying to get to here is practice self-compassion and when you need to, remove yourself from difficult situations if at all possible, if you're not feeling up to it. So one of the problems we run into uh, with other people is sometimes they interpret kindness and compassion as weakness and stupidity or, what's the word, naivete? I think I got that one right, and an invitation to aggress against you. Now, this is also known as bullying. Um, I also call it harassment. And harassment, for those of you in places like human resources or workplaces, not just protected classes, it's everybody. So then the question comes up, how do we handle bullies? Um, we don't want to appear weak and get walked over, so we must be solid and help them see us as such. We can address them with what I call <clears throat> excuse me, an informed, assertive compassion. But to do this, we have to be solid in mind, body, and spirit. Um, gee, as I was going through this, the word formidable came up. I could say we need to be formidable. But then, you know, I looked up the word, and it's pretty much a poor choice. It's a remnant of how I can conduct myself in some situations when I'm ready to fight. And I just went through a few of the de definitions. Arousing fear, dread, or alarm. Sure, that's the old me. Uh, you know, punch me and I'll knock you down type of attitude. And we see that often in discussions. Ooh, I like the second one. Inspiring awe, admiration, or wonder. Well, that sounds nice, but a bit egotistical, and it may be at the expense of another person. Uh, difficult to undertake, surmount, or defeat. A formidable challenge. That's what you're going to end up with in some cases. A formidable challenge. But I just figured, because language is important. So in essence, what we want to be is educated, knowledgeable, and able to stand firmly with conviction, to be dedicated and committed uh, to what we're doing. Um, then we can feel the solidity within us. Um, actually, we need the solidity within us to do this, um, and we are going to need it. And it does help to stand on the shoulders of those who came before us and those who are still with us. Now I'm going to do a bit of name dropping here. Tolstoy, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Dorothy Day, Thich Nhat Hanh, Paul Farmer, Helen Keller, Malala, Nadia Murad, Nelson Mandela, Christ Buddha, whoever else comes to mind. Um, there are many who've used nonviolent means founded or based on compassion and they grounded is the word I'm looking for on compassion and they are diverse people from many different races ethnicities, religions that have found universal truths, that we are interconnected and our faith is intertwined. These insights span thousands of years. Uh, the knowledge and wisdom is there. We just need to understand and apply it. A little bit of a bell now. Now, the more I read, study, and practice, and live my daily life, the more I encounter similar veins of thought across history. Now, let me pull a few out for you. 
Martin Luther King Jr., this is one of his cooler statements, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in, a, in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. Now that's pretty cool. Um, that says a whole lot. From Gandhi. Interdependence is and ought to be as much the ideal of man as self-sufficiency. Man is a social being. Without interrelation with society, he cannot realize his oneness with the universe or suppress his egotism. His social interdependence enables him to test his faith and approve himself on a touchstone of reality. Now notice we have the gender bias in all these with the he's and him's and men. Uh, Dorothy Day talked about the need for a revolution of the heart to awaken uh, compassion. Thich Nhat Hanh talks a lot about interbeing or interdependence. Um, give you a, a little bit of a quote. Without rain, sunshine, nutrients, a flower cannot exist. Um, you know, I was wondering why he was coming so much to mind today. It is his birthday, or what he would call his continuation day. He recently died, so he's continuing in another form. And I'll post some of his writings on interdependence on the Building Peace Initiative website. All right. Hey, did I miss my Uncle Albert here? Let's see. Eh, maybe not. Well, anyway, let me move down. <clears throat> I'll post that one, too. So, one example of interdependence is us. As individuals, as a people, as a member of the biosphere, our bodies have trillions of cells. Yes, trillions uh, that work together so we can come into and remain in existence. They don't fight each other because one is a different shade or color than the other. Your heart doesn't discriminate against your other, your other organs. Uh, to do so would be suicide for the heart and would murder the entire organism. Your cells do not have egos that want more than the other cells. So to get an idea of how much a trillion is, a trillion is a thousand billion. If you started counting today, one second per number, it would take you 32,000 years to get there. That's an immense amount. Um, based on that, you'd think getting 8 billion people working together to preserve their habitat and lives would be easy, but it's not because each of us has an ego. We think we are separate from each other, but we are not. Biology, chemistry, physics indicate the whole universe is interrelated. And we have to do some thinking about what that means for us. <clears throat> now, here's Einstein. He did and came up with this insight. A uh, human being is part of a whole called by us the universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts, his feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, <clears throat> restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circles of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole nature in its beauty. I discovered this at 17 when I had entered undergrad at SUNY Geneseo, and I've carried it with me since. Boy, I get it, but it's really hard to apply it. But it's in my mind and in my heart. So, here's another one from the Bhagavad Gita. When you feel the suffering of every living thing within your heart, that is true consciousness. Pretty intense, huh? So, 
Why do I keep bringing up interdependence? Well, because it's important that we see each other as interrelated as it helps us to, well, first off, it's true, but second, it helps us to develop empathy and see the truth that our actions affect each other. Now, our current environmental crisis is an excellent example of this. The way we consume affects people all over the world. When we understand empathy, then we can see the joy that our actions can bring to others. We can also see the suffering that our actions can bring. We understand their joy is ours, and their suffering is ours also. What we do to each other, we do to ourselves. So, I'm going to stop there for today. Uh, next week, we're going to take a little bit of a look at um, human rights and how that fits into the whole practice of peace, because I think that is crucial. Till then, give yourselves and others some peace, and also feel free to give them a peace, that's P-E-A-C-E, -E, of your mind. Till next week.